This week's show is brought to you by Sock Fancy. They deliver awesomely random socks every month with free shipping anywhere in the world. And there are hundreds of designs so you'll never get the same pair twice and you can cancel anytime. Act now and you can get an extra pair of socks added to any subscription for free when you go to SockFancy.com slash Collider and enter code Collider at checkout. That's SockFancy.com slash Collider to get a free pair added to your subscription when you enter the code Collider at checkout. A science story, huh? These NYU scientists, they... And I it felt... felt I felt right. I was so And I just happy. thought, well... I figured it out. It was that tall. golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hi everyone, I'm Ben Lilly, and welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. This week's story is from Amanda Booch. It was recorded in March 2016 at Union Hall in Brooklyn, New York, as part of Brain Awareness Week. As a preschooler, I would sit on my dad's lap as he typed away on our IBM computer, writing code for his job as a software architect on Wall Street. I loved being with my dad because he was always teaching me, and in second grade, he taught me web programming in HTML and JavaScript, and we even set up a web domain and hosting service. (laughs) When not working on my website, our learning adventures would extend to things like reading and math, And my dad, though he was out of the house for like 12 hours a day working, always made time for me. And by high school, he was quizzing me frequently, even staying up with me till midnight and waking me up at 4 or 5 a.m. for some more. (laughs) But throughout my dad's entire life, he was also an active musician and composer, first learning guitar at the age of nine from his talented sister, Mati, and later during college studying Afro-Cuban jazz and classical guitar. My dad loved to play music, and when he would play with his band, the air would electrify with melodious song, and the beats would reverberate through the air and dance as the notes of the musicians and singers melded into an endless song. Very frequently on the weekends, we'd have parties where all my dad's friends would come over and they would grab their instruments and sing along for hours. This was what my life was filled with, music and moments like this. And one time in high school, my dad joined in at a band in a talent show and he played an improvised solo to Jimi Hendrix's Purple Haze behind his back. So he... (laughs) So he was very, you know, very diverse and uh, loved exploring these different things. And and life was just great. And then one day in the spring of 2008, it was a beautiful day. My dad was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease at the very young age of 47. And I was in my second year of high school. Like an impending avalanche, I became terrified by what the future could bring. And I felt disconnected from reality. How would my dad's life change and how would our relationship change and what would happen? You know, how could things change with such this sudden and singular diagnosis and how could I help him? So, of course, I immediately went and looked up everything there was to know about Parkinson's disease. And the crazy thing that I have since learned is that at that very moment, 70 to 80 percent of my dad's brain cells that produced dopamine had died off irreversibly. 
Before long, I noticed how things that used to be easy for my dad, like nailing a wild riff on his guitar or maneuvering around the kitchen as he concocted delicious creations, became more difficult. Parts of my dad's brain were eroding, affecting all aspects of his life, physical, mental, and emotional. His posture became slumped, and when he would try to walk while remembering the grocery list or something like that, he would shuffle and drag his feet. And in anticipation of a musical performance, his entire left side would begin tremoring so that it became difficult for him to hold his guitar. And those parties, those social situations became obstacles for him because the crowded scenes and the noisy situations actually made his symptoms worse. But despite all this, my dad was still positive, even making jokes about his disease and working harder than ever. My dad is a knight with damaged armor who still manages to keep the enemies at bay. And yet, it was painful for me to experience parts of this precious relationship slipping away from me. I struggled greatly with this loss. I felt angry because he was changing, and yet I hated myself because I felt selfish for being angry. But I decided to dedicate my penchant for loving science and the scientific process towards one goal trying to cure my father and others with this disease. So I channeled my frustrations into related scientific projects during and after college in different disciplines in New York City. On a collaborative project between a neurosurgeon and a stem cell biologist, Vivian Tabar and Lorenz Studer, I helped investigate cell replacement therapy for Parkinson's disease. It was really striking to see these rats that had exhibited Parkinson's-like symptoms become healthy again after we had implanted these engineered dopamine-producing cells. But while I was working on this project in New York City, my dad actually lost his job on Wall Street because of his disabilities, and my family had to move away to Charlotte. After they moved away, it became hard for my dad to communicate clearly because the same dosage of his medication just wasn't cutting it anymore. And when we would try to talk over long distance over the phone, he would slur his speech and mumble, losing focus and not speaking clearly. And it was, it was just very hard. I felt scared and I felt alone. Why was my dad's disease getting worse so quickly? And what was gonna happen to him in the next five years? To try to answer these questions, I went onto my computer and I ferociously looked for some potential cutting edge therapy that might help him that was being developed that would be non-invasive, targeted, and personalized. To my excitement, I found out that at Columbia where I was, this amazing technique called focused ultrasound was being developed by Elisa Canafago and co colleagues and animals, and this focused ultrasound could help deliver these drugs specifically to the damaged brain regions in Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, cancers, and many other diseases. While exploring the implications of this technology in that lab, my graduation was approaching. Finally, on May 21st of 2014, the day had arrived. The culmination of my college career, graduating from Columbia University. And yet, it felt sour. I struggled greatly when I saw my dad that day so handicapped. Just six years after his diagnosis, now 53, my dad could barely walk. 
and suffered from debilitating side effects of dyskinesia and dystonia that left him doing things like making uncontrollable writhing movements or awkward posturing that he just couldn't control. You see, that day, my dad was now in a wheelchair and I cried the first night that I saw him. It was just devastating to see this man, the man who would shoot hoops with my sister and I while we played horse, not too long ago, now so disabled. This just was very upsetting to me, and I did not want to celebrate for my big day. What had seemed important to me and what I had worked hard for for most of my life just paled in comparison to seeing my dad suffer. And yet, despite his sufferings, my dad was always stoked about that, and that day he was just joyful for me, as usual. After graduating, I stayed in New York City to continue doing research, while my dad kept getting worse in Charlotte. While I had been in school that January before graduating, I had asked my dad to consider deep brain stimulation surgery. Yes, a brain surgery, in fact, where the patient is awake during the procedure and these electrodes are implanted deep into the brain to send pulses of electrical current to the damaged regions powered by a pacemaker that's implanted into the chest. Understandably, my dad was greatly disturbed by this idea, <laughs> thought it was crazy, and said something like, you know, this is all very cool, but it would be way cooler if it was in somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> However, <laughs> four months later, since there were really no better alternatives for him, my dad conceded, and the impending day of the surgery arrived. By that time, though, oddly enough, we had been praying for a while, and my family was fairly relaxed about this. My dad even went calmly into the OR with normal blood pressure, <laughs> which the nurse told us was very unusual because people get very excited and nervous, and their blood pressure rises, so he was pretty relaxed. And we went to the hospital garden to wait it out. We waited for five hours in anticipation. Finally, the doctor called and said, he's done. In fact, he did great. And he even was making jokes while he was in the OR, you know, on the operating table. Crazy. But I wasn't too surprised because I knew how my dad was. So we were relieved and we headed home and he began to recover. Ten days later, a bulge began growing on the left side of my dad's head and rapidly expanding towards his eye to the size of a baseball. What was going on, we asked each other. Was it infected? Why was it expanding so quickly? Would they have to take out this device, do another huge brain surgery? Freaked out and trying to remain calm, we rushed off to the hospital's ER, three hours away. The doctors looked him over, ran some tests, and they had to remove some staples, actually. And turns out, they removed these staples. They had been causing irritation. The bulge subsided. He was okay. Finally, we could relax. The surgery was a success, and he could finally actually recover. Three months later, less than a year after I had graduated, my dad could now walk normally again, and in fact run and play tennis, and most importantly, play the guitar well again, which was so important to him. 
His medication was reduced by two-thirds so that those terrible side effects of spasms and contortions ceased completely. He was truly a new man. And yet, while miraculous for these motor symptoms, this device did not cure his cognitive impairments. I became obsessed with trying to understand why this was. Why was my dad cognitively impaired, and why were there not treatments for him? So I joined Daphne Shohami's lab at Columbia to use fMRI to investigate how Parkinson's patients think and learn differently and what the neural correlates are of these processes. Today, I stand here trying to decide where I should continue my research for my PhD in neuroscience this coming fall. I look forward to continuing to investigate how Parkinson's changes the brain, how we can fix it, and how Parkinson's relates neurobiologically to other diseases. Through it all, my dad's positive outlook on life has taught me never to surrender to misfortune. Thank you. That was Amanda Booch. Amanda is a neuroscientist and visual artist who draws inspiration from the intersection of brain biology and creativity and art. As a scientist, she aims to better characterize and treat the dysfunctional brain circuitry involved in Parkinson's disease. She has been co-authored in top science journals, including Nature. If you enjoyed today's story or are a fan of the podcast, please consider writing us a review on iTunes. It's a great way to help new listeners find the podcast, and we love sharing those stories. We are, as always, grateful for the support of the Simons Foundation, who helped make this all possible. The Story Collider is produced by me, Brian Weck, Darren Barker, Ari Daniel, Christine Gentry, Skylar Bear, Shane Hanlon, Rosie Waldron, and Liz Neely. The podcast is produced by Zoe Saunders, and the theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to Union Hall for hosting the show, to Be Brainy NYC for producing Brain Awareness Week in New York, and to two 2016 for nearly being over. Thanks for listening. <laughs>